Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and on Instagram on Broadway Curtain Podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Our guest today has inhabited the greatest roles in the theater's canon. Orestes, Joe Keller, Brutus, Prospero, and countless others. And he has created some of the greatest roles in the American musical theater. Bill Sampson, Frederick Eggerman, Benjamin Barker, better known to audiences as Sweeney Todd. To tell us what it was like to be directed by Tyrone Guthrie and Hal Prince, share the stage with such greats as Angela Lansbury and Lauren Bacall, and to perform the poetry of Sondheim and Shakespeare, here is Tony Award winner Len Cariou. Len, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, gentlemen. How did you first get exposed to theater? Well, I was kind of lucky. I've always been a singer, and uh, we had an outdoor theater. There was no professional theater. There was an amateur theater. And I uh, aspired when I got to be in my teens to to be a part of the Rainbow Stage, it was called. Mm. It's called. Still there. Uh, It was an outdoor theater in Kildonan Park. And uh, now it's now it's under a dome because, of course, you know, if, if it clouded over, people <laughs> tended not to come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we were, we had a big, pretty big stage, uh, and it was you know part of the uh, the Parks and Recreation of the City of Winnipeg. A man by the name of John Hirsch, who was a Hungarian refugee that came to Winnipeg after he'd been there five years, arrived without speaking a word of English, and in five years was teaching English at the University of Manitoba. Had been a puppeteer in in his native Hungary and uh, uh, said, you know, well, why is there no professional theater? You have one of the great ballet companies in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. So he said, I'm going to start a theater and uh, became my mentor. So I was very, very lucky to have somebody that, that gave a damn. Right. He saw that I had some talent, and he said, come in, come yeah. with me. And he engineered my getting to Stratford. That really launched my career, as it was, because when I got there, not knowing a lot about, I mean, I had no clue what I would play in Shakespeare other than, you know, Romeo or, and, you know, the other stuff that you studied, Macbeth. When I got to Stratford that summer, I uh, 
I was as cast, <laughs> which meant that you were in every play and in every scene that they could possibly put you in. And uh, I took that as as my, since I had to be in the building every day anyway, I thought, well, why don't you just sit in on rehearsal all the time and yeah. just see what, what's going on here. Let's figure this out. Let's yeah. see if I fit into this system of, of Shakespeare or not. And if you were curious and... Uh, and the fire was burning in your belly. It was it was the place to be. Yeah. So I was happily there. And uh, at the end of that first season, uh, I went back home to Winnipeg. John had hired me to 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 be part of the winter program, and I did that for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went back to him and I said, uh, "This is what I want to do. I want to do the classics because I saw that that's." obviously where the challenge was for mm-hmm. an actor and I understood because I spent all that time in the you know in the rehearsal rooms and watched yeah. these wonderful actors translating Elizabethan speech yeah. and making yeah. it oh god I understand what he said and so uh, he says to me John said to me well he said uh, you're taking the high road and he said but you make me a promise he said do not give up the musical theater he said, because there are very few people that can do what you can do, which stopped me kind of in my tracks. And I yeah. said, but he said, no, he said, not many people can, that are actors can sing as well. Yeah. And he said, you must think of yourself that way. Think of yourself as an actor who sings, wow. not the other way around. And so I said, okay, I promise. And uh, this is a little off probably the, the, the subject, but uh, we were doing a production of An Enemy of the People in which I was playing the turncoat guy, I can't even remember his name, and we were having notes and we were about to have our first audience. And we had done a run-through and he gave notes and he didn't give me any notes. And we were in the theater and I was standing on the stage and he was, he said, okay, let's go, you know, go away, you'll uh, come back and uh, have a good show. And he was walking out and as he was walking out, I said to him, John, I said, you don't have any notes for me? I'm so perfect. And he said, notes, you want notes? And he threw his coat down and he walked back down to the stage and he had, I mean, I was, this man, he was six foot five, like, he looked like a a scarecrow. (laughs) came down, stopped standing. I'm up on the stage. He's, he's directly below me. He looks up. He says, you, notes. You want notes? When you learn to listen and practice humility, maybe when you'll be 40, you'll be an actor. And he turned on his heel and left. I mean, stopped me dead in my track. I went, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I was trying to be funny. But obviously it was burned into my head. When I was 40, I was doing Sweeney Todd and he came to see it. And my, we hadn't worked together in 17 years. And I'd done many plays with him in Winnipeg. And he came backstage and he couldn't have been more proud. And I said, so John, am I an actor yet? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, what are, what are you talking about? And I re- it told him the story. That I just told you, and he yeah. went, I said that? <laughs> he, of course, had never forgot all about it. Right. For the Shakespeare bug bit, what musicals were you doing? At, were you doing them at school, or as well no, as the, fir- the... Well, the first musical I ever did was, a, was a Ray Fraxtra, uh in high school. 
And so, you know, I, as far as acting was concerned, I, I thought I was a singer who wanted to act. Did you take any voice lessons, or did it just... Oh, yeah, I st- studied as, as a boy soprano, I studied. Then. As a boy soprano. And then when my voice changed, I studied. It was interesting, because uh, when it changed and, and a year had gone by, I went to uh, a next-door neighbor who was a wonderful baritone, uh, who was a teacher uh, also. Uh, and uh, he said to me, what do you want to be? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, do you want to be a bass or a tenor or a baritone? What do you want to be? And I said, are you serious? <laughs> I can be any of those things? If you... He said, yeah, well, just train your voice to do that. He said, because got, we've got a you know, clean slate here, and we can do whatever. We can go in any direction you want to go. And I said, well, I'm a boy baritone. You know, come on. Sinatra and Bennett and yeah, yes. those guys worshipped. So... Right. Uh, how did your journey go from Canada to the Guthrie? Well, Douglas Campbell, who was then the artistic director at the Guthrie Theater after, uh, after Guthrie had started the theater, he came up to... Uh, he was, he'd always been a member of, of uh, the Stratford Company and then went down. Guthrie brought him down to Minneapolis to, uh, to head that company up and be its artistic director. And then he came up to direct something for Stratford. And I had been in the company three years and I'd won a Guthrie Award. You know, it's just a, an honorarium for because they didn't quite know what to do with me because I said, oh, are you doing Henry V? Well, I'm playing Henry V. <laughs> <laughs> and, nice. and Michael Langham looked at me and said, no, son. He said, there are five guys in the you waiting, waiting to play Henry V. And I said, oh, come on. What am I? So they gave me a Guthrie Award, and I came here to study voice with, with Kristen Linklater. And so Douglas sent, then I went back because they were doing Mahagoni. The man who directed it, Jean Gascon, knew me and said, you know, would you sing for the music director? Because he said, I think he'd really be good in... in uh, play Moneybags Bill. So I did, and, and I got the job. So I was kind of gloating as I came back because I had left as an actor in the acting company and I came back in the opera company. Yes, right. <laughs> and I was song. kind of going... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Giving them the finger. And Douglas Campbell saw me, and, and he'd known me, uh, you know, as an actor, and, and then saw me do this. And, and he anyway, came to me and said, look, I'd like you to come to the Guthrie and lead the company at Guthrie. Play Orlando and As You Like It. So I did, and that's how I got to the Guthrie. And then it turned out that Guthrie came back to do the Oresteia, and so I finally caught up to him. He didn't, he, he didn't know me from Adam, and Douglas Campbell said, he's going to play Orestes. And I think Guthrie said, who is he? Oh, yeah. But Douglas was, uh, was on my team, if you will, and said, and I think Guthrie was a little reluctant, and then he said, well, sorry, but that's, that's the way it's going to be. And I won him over, thank God. Um, we brought it here and played it at what's now the Nederlander Theater. It was the Billy Roses. We brought that and Arturo Uy, did them in rep here, and then we took them to Los Angeles and did them there. And then I went from, after that, I went to Stratford, Connecticut. What are the benefits of being in a rep company? The Gravitas it's it's uh, you grow up really quickly. Uh, you have a lot of responsibility because you're, from my point of view, when I because as cash, you really are. You know, uh, you do 
you're in every scene, you're in every play, and you understudy three or four different roles, and sometimes they're, you never get to play them, of course, because right. guys will kill before, they'd have to be dead before anybody would go on for them. You just do them in understudy rehearsal. But if you, if you apply yourself, you learn an awful lot in a very concentrated period of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what... Uh, I mean, when I did Lear, I did Lear when I was 35 because it just it changes your life. It just changes your life mm-hmm. because you go, oh, heavens, you want me to play Lear? I'm 35 years old. The guy's 80 years old. What's going on here? As I say in, my, in Broadway in the Bard, uh, I have reiterate this story and that Michael Langham who was then the artistic director at the Guthrie he had come to take over after Campbell he had been the artistic director at Stratford Ontario for 15 years and maybe the best director of Shakespeare who ever lived he should have been Sir Mike I called him that anyway mm-hmm. so he came to me at, at uh, I, I was then an associate artistic director of the, the-, of the Guthrie at the oh. point and uh, and Michael said we were going to do Macbeth. He changed his mind and switched it to Lear. I was, you know, I was like, oh, crap. Because, you know, what am I going to play in Lear? I didn't want to play Edgar. Because yeah. I had just done the Oristaya and all that body makeup. No, thanks. I didn't want to do that again. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, you'll play Lear. Time you started doing those character parts. And it changed my life. It really did, because uh, you take that on and you, once you embody it, once you, I mean, I think I was, you know, I was obviously too young to play it, but I was obviously, uh, again, he said, I said to him, what are we going to do with our, our actors who are the right age in our company? Paul Ballantyne and, and Robert Pasteen were both in our company at that time. And uh, I said, what are they going to think? And he looked at me, he said, they're probably going to go, Whew. <laughs> Thank God I didn't. I don't have to do that. <laughs> that changed my life. What made we'll call him Sir Michael, but what made <laughs> Sir Michael such a good director of Shakespeare? Well, you know what? It's really interesting. He was a prisoner of war in the Second World for the entire war. I think got in the first month of the war. He was a Air Force guy, captured, was in concentration camp, I believe in, in Germany. He was a lawyer by profession, and to keep their sanity, he directed all these guys in the entire canon of Shakespeare, maybe five or six times. They did the canon, pretty incredible. So he, when it's over, and the war is over, and these people go to Guthrie and say, Guthrie, this guy, Michael Langham, my God, he's a Shakespeare scholar, and he's a wonderful director, and he's a very funny guy, and, you know, uh, and smart as a whip. So Guthrie then just went, you know, said, okay, and he gave him a job. And then when Guthrie founded Stratford, Ontario, he brought Michael over to take his place. Pretty extraordinary guy. And then after your time with Shakespeare and the classics for so long, you transition into the musical theater world, mm-hmm. the commercial musical theater world, and the first one that you do is Applause. Right. How did that come about? How did you go from playing well, that's inter- to... Well, it was interesting, because I was at Stratford, Connecticut, playing Henry V. Ron Field was directing Applause, starring Betty Bacall. I was up at Stratford, and I got a call from my agent, come in and audition for this musical called Applause, based on All About Eve. And I said, okay. So I came in, and uh, it was the Alvin Theater, mm-hmm. yeah. which is now the Neil Simon, I think. Yeah, Neil yeah. Simon. Yeah. And, the, and the 
anti-theater was directly across the street. I came in and I auditioned, and this was my first when I was on a stage, you know, on yeah, a stage with, yeah. a work, with a work like a piano, and, and uh, Ron Field said, thanks very much. He said, we'll be in touch, and I said, okay. Oh, and the funny part of that, about that was that, the, you know, he says to me, would you, would you mind reading a scene? And I said, no, no. But then I thought, where's the woman right. that I'm gonna read with? Well, it was a six foot four screaming queen who was one of the stage managers, a wonderful guy, actually. He was really, really, but it was very funny. And, and he had, you know, he had this ridiculous lisp. It was absolutely silly. But it was, Crazy. I mean, it was all, it, all I could do not to laugh at him, you know, when he was playing Miss Bacall. It was pretty funny. So I did that. And then about a month later, I got another call. Would you come back? Because now uh, Charles Strauss and Lee Adams want to. Uh, and Comet and Green are going to be there. So I went back and I auditioned a second time. And they all, very nice, very nice. And see you. And the third time, now this is getting ridiculous. And I'm going, what the fuck is yeah. going on here? Uh, he said, no, now Miss Bacall is going to be there. The producers are going to be there. They really, they're really, really hot on you. And I said, well, then why don't they just give me the goddamn job? <laughs> and they said, well, I, you know, that's the way it is. And uh, so I said, uh, okay. So I came in the third time. They're all very impressed. Ron Field comes up onto the stage, and Miss Bacall came up. They all came up, and I meet them all. And Ron says to me, I'd really like to give you the job he said but I it's not up to me it's it's up to them so he said as far as I'm concerned you're my guy and I, and I, read, and I went oh that's nice that's nice and he said and I he said I know Betty's very impressed he said now tell me what it is you're doing again at the moment and I went come with me Ron and uh, he said well I said I gotta show you something it was I guess it was September I think it had to be September it might have even been October but we were going into the antitheater with Henry V. We were transferring it to the antitheater for like six weeks, right? Well, I walked out the stage door, and I pointed across the street, and there were three six-foot photographs of me as Henry V. And he's, I said, that's what I'm doing. And he went, awesome. He went, oh, shit. Took it. He went, oh, God. <laughs> So cool. I am so embarrassed. I said, well, I said I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the rehearsal process like? It's a, you know, normal, normal, normal process. Did you show a lot on the road? Or yeah, right? we did, unfortunately. We, we, uh, John had, John had, uh, John Hirsch yeah. had said to me, you know, uh, when you're doing a Broadway musical, he, he said it's, it can be the replacement game. So he said, you know, don't. He said, things change, and uh, and you might, you know, he said, you might be all, all right, and then they get a thing, get you out there, and, and they look and they go, well, no, that's not working, so let's get somebody else. Um, and of, unfortunately, that's what happened with applause, and uh, we were in uh, we were in Baltimore, and we had to replace uh, the girl who was playing Eve, mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, how Penny Fuller ended up playing Eve. But... The process was, you know, the same. I mean, it was right. normal. One of the things that we wanted to ask you is, is applause is, uh, I mean, Lauren McCall is wonderful. I mean, there's a television recording of it, so it preserves her mm. performance. But someone who was not known for doing musical right. theater, uh, and you had an extensive background mm -hmm. in musical theater, what were some of the challenges of t taking somebody who hadn't really done musical theater before and putting them in that environment? 
Well, I think, you know, she was, she was very, very nervous about it. She, you know, she can't sing. Yeah. And uh, obviously was, uh, you know, a, a concern of hers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they made, some, they wrote songs for her that, that weren't that difficult. Uh, but she was, she also had to dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she took taken on a huge responsibility. And, and it had never, you know, it's not like being in a film. You're, the thing's on your back. Right. So you feel the weight. Let me put it that way. Uh, but she was, uh, uh, she was a trooper from the word go. She was there and she worked her butt off. And we, ended, we fell in love with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that helped a little bit, I think. It helps the and, chemistry. And, yeah. um, and I think she was able to... Because I was very much on her side uh, and said, you know, you're going to be terrific in this yeah. thing. It's, you're, you know, remember, it's a vehicle for you. And, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, the, you're certainly able to handle it. Oh, I said, it's, uh, the, you know, it's a big responsibility, obviously. But I said, you know, we've got a lot of good people around you, so uh, that'll help. And then after applause, Nightwatch. Mm-hmm. Joan Hackett mm-hmm. is a remarkable actress that a lot of younger students probably aren't aware of, unfortunately, even though she does leave behind a nice body of work. Well, do you have any memories of working with her, what her process was like? Oh, yeah. She was, she was again, uh, you know... Uh, wonderfully capable, had a great worth of work ethic. So it was a very pleasant time. Yeah. Uh, um, she was, uh, she was, I think, a pretty trepidatious too about being, you know, doing this. Because I think, probably, if I'm remembering correctly, she'd done a lot of, of um, support roles. Yes. And this this yeah. was a, you know, this was a leading role. And uh, so, you know, it was... And a thriller, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah. It was kind of fun to do the play. It was a, it was a fun play. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And it was, it, was a, it was a nice, lovely experience. Hey, listeners, Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes, click on the iTunes store, Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, (laughs) and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) 
Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the last five years, because I think that would be uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear Moving Too Fast as Paul? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I really want. She's a shakes the goddess. <laughs> Been through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss and the Handelman twins. <laughs> So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your you. reviews, friends. Thank you. Good. How did the little night music uh, come into your radar? Well, I was at the Guthrie and uh, Hal Prince. When we did the run, the Gypsy run through of applause, uh-huh. we did it at the Schubert Theater, and I, I had never, you know, it was my first Gypsy run through. Right. The joint was packed, and uh, at the end of it, you know, everybody comes out of the audience up onto the stage. Oh wow. And uh, so I'm standing there, you know, I'm, I'm a rookie, remember? You know? <laughs> and people are counting up going, geez, terrific yeah. stuff, terrific stuff. And uh, this guy who leans in and says, bravo. He said, I thought you were best, you know, one of the best leading, young leading men I've seen in a long time. And turns around and walks away. And I said, thank you, thank you. So Ron Field comes over to me and said, what did Hal say to you? And I said, Hal who? And he said, come on. I said, I don't know who he... He said, Hal Prince, for Christ's sake. I'm sorry. I said, I don't know who Hal Prince is. And he said, the guy over there with the glasses on. (laughs) Right? And I said, oh, you really want to (laughs) know? So it was kind of like the same deal left, you know? (laughs) And he went, he went, okay. And I said, and I said, well, we'll see whether this ever comes to anything. He said, we should, because he had said to me, we should work together sometime. And I, when that happened, I went, oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I said, well, we'll see. And I'm at the Guthrie, and I get a call from the agent, would you come and uh, audition for Mr. Prince um, for a little night music? They sent me a script, which was just Hugh Wheeler's book. Mm-hmm. There's no, no lyric in it or anything. So it, it, and it was really... You know, it's, it's like it's written like an ennui play. It's really a beautiful script. The role was Carl Magnus. I I said, you know, I, I read it and I said, well, it's really a, a lovely story. I said, but I've played Carl Magnus any number of times, and I but I'm certainly not going to pass up the opportunity to sing for Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince. So. Uh, well, so much acting going on. There. <laughs> There's a lot of acting. There's a lot of emoting happening all around us. So. I get on a plane, and I, we were in rep at that time, and I had like four days off. So I came to New York, and uh, I still had an apartment here in New York, up on 110th Street. So I came and auditioned for them, and I, I don't remember what I sang there either. And Hal says to me, uh, thanks, that was really good. Uh, would you, we've, we have a new script, and I'd like you to read it overnight. And we'll talk in the morning, yeah. if you wouldn't mind calling me and... and uh, I said, no. So they gave me this new script, and now this has got lyrics in it, right? Oh. And I read it, and I go, oh, this is too funny for words. <laughs> I mean, it's such a... The opening stuff, Frederick was there, the now song, yeah, right? Yeah. So it goes, now, as the sweet imbecilities tumble so lavishly onto her lap, now there are two possibilities. A, I could ravish her. B, I could nap. And I read that, and I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. This is incredible. Okay. Say it's the ravishment, then you see the option that follows, of course. A, the deployment of charm, or B, the adoption of physical force. Now, B might arouse her, but if I assume, I'll trip on my trouser leg crossing the room. I mean, you go, holy Christ. 
Anyway, I read it, and I call Hal, and I said, uh, um, yeah, I read it, I said, and, you know, the lyrics are phenomenal. I said, the, that, the Frederick Egemon part, the, the, yeah. and I just, you know, I did, I said, now it's a sweet imbecile, he's tumbled so lavishly onto your lap. I said, that's brilliant stuff. And he said, yeah, good. He said, because that's what we want you to play. <laughs> are you kidding me? Because, you know, I was in my 30s, and, and mm-hmm. the guy was meant to be in his he said, no, he said, that's what we want. And I went back to the Guthrie with just flying. I, mean, I almost went on my own yeah. through the air uh, <laughs> and uh, arrived and, and uh, went into Michael's, Langham's office, and sat down and said, guess what? And Michael said, it's wonderful, congratulations, but you can't do it. Why? He said, well, because first of all, you're about to do Oedipus. And you're going to put the company through. You're going to leave us after you open this play, and you have to put this company back into rehearsal for to take your find someone to take your place. You can't do that. And he said, you know, it's. And he was right. He was right. Uh, he said, you know, you're the associate artistic director of this theater. And he said, you know, you can't abandon this. This is your. It's morally wrong. Is really what he was saying to me. And he was absolutely right. And I said, okay. Okay, so I called, uh, and I had a, I called my agent and told him what happened, and he, of course, was furious, and I said, but uh, that's the way it's going to be. I've thought about it for a couple of days, and I know he's right. And is there any way I could talk to Mr. Prince? And he was at the, uh, at the time in Mallorca, so they got me his phone number, and I called him in Mallorca, and I told him the situation, and he said, well, he said, uh, I don't think an actor has ever said this to me before. He said, I hope they know what they've got there with you. He said, because that's a pretty uh, extraordinary thing. And he said, uh, I wish you the best of luck. And I said, thanks. I said, maybe somewhere else down the line. And he said, right, okay. And so uh, about a month later, they called again. And they had changed the rehearsal dates. And he now said, now, could you come? And we were already in rep. We were up and running. So I began what I think was one of the great commutes of all time. I I commuted between Minneapolis and New York, came here for rehearsal, rehearsed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, got on a plane Wednesday night, played Oedipus Wednesday night and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, got back on a plane, went back to New York and did that for... A month. I was flying. Yeah, I mean, that, I, the adrenaline, the adrenaline was flying. I never missed a performance, and I never missed a rehearsal in the middle of winter between Minneapolis I mean, and New York. Uh, what are the odds yeah, of that? Right. What are the odds of that? Yeah, right. And then you get to work with Mr. Prince again a few yeah. years later with Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. How did that come about for you? Well, it was it was uh, again interesting after uh, after I was finished with. Uh, with night music, I went back to the Guthrie, and, and that's when I played Lear. And then, and then um, we were doing a production of Company called Harold. And I said, "Would you mind sending me a copy of your stage manager's script so I can refer to it?" And he said, "No, no, absolutely, I will." And he said, "Oh, and by the way, Stephen has written a musical for you." And I said, "By the way?" Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, it's called Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber, Fleet Street." And he said, "I'll send a copy of it." So I. It arrives, and I'm in the, I'm in rehearsal, so I'm not able to really. I'm in, and I'm directing. Uh, no, I was playing in in Equus. My mind was not 
fully on, you know, what it mm-hmm. should have been. So I read it the first day, and I thought, they're out of their minds. This is ridiculous, this thing. And I said, well, I'll read it over the weekend when I can give it my undivided attention. And I did that. And then I thought, well, you know, if, if he writes a really romantic score, who knows? You know? And uh, there was, again, no lyrics right. in it. Just Hugh Wheeler had written the book. And it was a pretty interesting book. And I thought, well, you know. And it so happened that the, my contract with the Manitoba Theatre Center was my only out clause was if I got an offer to do a Broadway show. And uh, so after a few months, I get the offer. So I'm, I'm only there for a year, for that one year as, as artistic director. And so we come back to, you know, I come back to New York. We were going to go into rehearsal in December, which was... And then they said, what are we doing going into rehearsal over the holidays. I mean, you know, we're out of our minds. So they changed that, and that was too bad because I was geared and, yeah. ready, and ready to go. And so uh, uh, I had that time, and then it so happens. Life again gets in your way, and the yeah. marriage breaks up, and, uh, you know, it was a pretty rough time. So it's a good thing that I wasn't in the middle of that when we yeah. went into rehearsal. We finally did, you know, a month later. And that was just when I read that script and saw the, uh, the lyrics and Angela was going to play Mrs. Lovett, and Harold was directing, and I thought, well, you know, you're on, you're on this thing, you better ride it in the direction it's going. Yeah. So, uh, and I thought, you know, this could be either extraordinary or just a huge bomb, but I said, it really is pretty brilliant stuff. It's yeah. genius work. And once you heard the music, I just went, oh, my Lord. Yeah. This is just extraordinary theater. Just extraordinary theater, and we'd better not screw it up. And I think that's really what Angela and I were most proud of, was that we were able to do that and, and maintain it for a whole year and, yeah. and not not go over the top into farce, yeah. Yeah. which easily, which easily yeah. could have happened. Yeah. So um, it was a, we were pretty proud of that, that we were able to manage that. We consciously did that. We said, we better be careful here. Yeah. And... Uh, that was a huge bond, I yeah. think, between she and I. What's it like to be directed by Hal Prince? Well, it was fun. He's he's wonderful. I think his uh, he's very much open to what you have to bring to the table. I think his major. I think one of the the great things is about him is his casting. Mm-hmm. He has a great sense about who should do what, and because he's working with original material and and they're creating this piece uh, to have that imagination and that and that discipline and to know how to speak to a composer and uh, and a book writer a librettist you know because he had done it all he started as a stage manager you know and so he had been in the process of putting new works together all his life uh, and then became a producer and then said well, I'm going to direct because, you know, uh, I know how to do this. And, you know, he learned from Mr. Abbott. So uh, he had a, a great mentor there. And uh, so he was he, had, he was a great student and, uh, and then became uh, a consummate artist in his own right. And, again, the film, of course, I wasn't going to be in the film. Um, and I got a phone call literally in the middle of the night from Hal. They were over, they were in London doing the recording for the soundtrack. And I get a call from the 
Glenn, it's Hal. I said, yeah, I know. I said, Hal, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. What are you calling me for? He said, can you get over here? He said, the guy can't do this. He said, get on the next plane. Come to London. He said, we're recording tracks for uh, this, you know, for the soundtrack. So I got on a plane the next day and went on, went to London and, and uh, went into a. They were recording. They were recording "Send in the Clowns." And uh, Elizabeth Taylor was playing Desiree, and she was, of course, terrified mm-hmm. um, because she would not been a singer and, and she had not, you know, she had fallen on hard times in the film business. But she's perfect in a sense for Desiree. So anyway, I get in the, get in the booth with Elizabeth Taylor because she's got to give me her blessing that I should play opposite her because they, they had, uh, they'd had two guys that weren't cutting it and she was a little worried, you know. But I, I managed to uh, quell that <laughs> and so on we went and, uh, and made the film and it was, uh, it was fun. Problem is that they wanted, I think, Prince to remake Smiles of a Summer Night. They, and the, they weren't going to be kind to Elizabeth. They were kind of waiting for her to, you know, so they could chop her down. So it was, um, that was unfortunate, I think. Uh, Do you you happen to remember who the other two gentlemen were that came before you? Yeah. Great. After after Sweeney, really quickly, no rest for the weary, uh, back to Stratford, and I have to make sure I get this right. In rep, you played Prospero, Coriolanus, Brutus, and Petruchio. Yes. Not all in the same year, though. I like that you, you maintained your relationships with your the theaters that made you, uh, essentially. You know, yeah. I, I think that's really... I don't know. It says something. You didn't just stay in New York and say, all right, I'm done with that. You no, maintained these relationships. Yeah, you had to. It's really special. Well, you know what? It was the, 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 the lesson that John said, don't give up the musical theater. Yeah. And I made that promise to myself, don't give up the classical theater either. Mm-hmm. And then you will have created something that you that that is a legacy that you can be very proud of. And so there it is now. I'm you know I've got this uh, body of work that uh, I think is the envy of most actors. Yes. Um, and is something that I'm very proud of. Uh, I think it's unique uh, in our business. And it's uh, it's just a, doing this show Broadway in the Bar that I've created mm-hmm. uh, is kind of like taking the two because it's an evening of Shakespeare and song. Uh, taking the two and, and uh, uh, giving you the best of both, if you will. Let's just very quickly talk about your process a little bit and approaching a role. If we could take, we'll take Joe Keller from All My Sons, if that's, mm-hmm. if that's okay with you. You get this script. How does your process begin? Well, I think, first of all, I think in any role, that I think you have to find what, where, where it is emotional within you. You have to, so that's pretty easy to say, I guess. But the point is, you have to know that about yourself. And I and I, I believe my if there's a criteria that I have about doing this was it, it's it's me knowing where I am emotionally with a role. So you read, you obviously read the the, the material, and and you and you say, well. This is a really well-written play, and this is a very complicated man, uh, and he's been living this, in Joe Keller's uh, case, this lie, if you will, all his life, and he and his wife know about it, but it's their dirty secret. And so it's, you had to real, I had to look at it as this benevolent man who, you know, was, was uh, 
gotten into the twilight of his of his life, and uh, he's you know he's about to give his son his business, and and uh, uh, lo and behold, this stuff comes up, and he's in a sense forgotten all about it. He's so buried it in his subconscious that that it's not it never happened, and it really you know, and it's it's never going to come out what really happened. Unfortunately, it does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so he it cracks the man. And, you know, but I think you have to find emotionally where where he lives, um, and until until there's there's a uh, somebody pokes him, he's this you know the the big shot in town, and yeah. and he's beloved by everybody except one who uh, who outs him really, and um, and when it, and when he not to his face but to his son's face, and then his son has to say, "Is this what happened?" Mm-hmm. And Joe confesses, yeah. It's pretty brutal stuff between his son and father. Um, so that's, then it becomes raw. Then it becomes raw stuff. And uh, paranoia takes over and uh, reality sets in. He just says, well, there's no point anymore. Kills himself. Which is kind of the coward's way out in a sense. Yeah. Even his wife had turned against him in the end. So there didn't seem to be much hope. But finding the emotional... Yeah, I think that's what I always do, is, is look to what... Uh, after you've said, okay, this is really good material. Now, let's find out if it stands up, if I go, because it's got to be visceral. It's got to yeah. go in... It's got to come from your groin. Uh, you've got to... However intellectually you approach it, it's got to be visceral. In that sense, it allows you to then open yourself up as an actor and invite the audience in and that I think is the secret to good theater Mm -hmm. is to get them because it's you know it's where it's our medium the actor's medium is the stage Uh, because we tell you what to do we tell you when to laugh and when to cry and when to so it's pretty powerful stuff it's uh, and I think that's very very important for actors to understand is that you have this incredible responsibility and what a powerful tool it is, uh, what you can do to an audience member and make it something that they'll never forget. And that's really rewarding. That's something that, you know, I've managed to do a couple times in my life, and, uh, uh, and that's gratifying. Yeah. And then just very quickly, we love the score of Dance a Little Closer. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit, that was Alan J. Leonard's last, I believe, last piece of yeah. show. The problem was that he didn't trust directors anymore, so he wanted to direct it. And he'd written the book, too, you know, so he didn't have those eyes that needed to be. So, but, you know, he wrote some wonderful lyrics, and Charles Strauss wrote a beautiful score. But the book wasn't strong enough, so it was... uh, it, it never got strong enough, and when he finally gave up the directing to uh, to another director, uh, I think it was too late. Yeah. Uh, it just needed um, it needed another aspect. That, yeah. uh, but the train had already left, I think, and, uh-huh. and it was unfortunate. Alan Jay was was uh, a lovely man, very talented. You know, he was now in the twilight of his years, and I think he, you know, it was something that he. he wanted to have a, a big hit to, you know, go out on. Yeah. And, uh, and he didn't get one, and I think... Because uh, he died shortly after that. Yeah, a few years so. later, yeah. But a marvelous, 
score. Yeah. Marvelous score, and luckily it's been preserved yeah. as an album. And so much of your work has been preserved, which is, which is so wonderful, and generations to come are just going to be mm-hmm. enjoying Oh, yeah, I'm work. thankful for that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a body of work, I think, to be proud of. Um, so, yeah, there's a legacy there. Want to know what it's like being in the Guinness Book of World Records? Tune in next week to find out when we talk to actor George Lee Andrews, who holds the record for the most performances in the same Broadway show. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.